as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, welcome back to a very, very special episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also with Big Shiny Robot. And we are joined by one of our favorite guests of all time, Brooke Heim. How are you doing today? Hi guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, of course. We couldn't be. We've been looking forward to this episode for a long time now. Um, so, in case you didn't notice, this little movie called Star Wars came out recently. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's like, I, I think maybe 20 people saw it though. That was it was kind of a small indie release. Um, yeah. yeah, it did really <laughs> well on the festival circuit, but it's pretty obscure. Right. Yeah, and it, it didn't win at cons, so you know, it's I'm I'm sure it'll just be a flop. But yeah. uh, obviously, we all loved it. We gave it a perfect ten when all three of us reviewed it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was on both Andy's and my top five list of the year, so it's, we're having a lot of fun with it. But we also, the first time around, uh, were very very careful not to spoil anything because it's a movie you really need to kind of experience for yourself. So, um, spoiler alert: <laughs> this is going to be. Uh, very much a deep dive and a discussion about all things Star Wars The Force Awakens, so if you have not seen this movie, turn this off right now, don't listen to it, and immediately go watch it, and then come back and um, revel along with us as we go over all the bits and pieces of this amazing movie. Um, I mean, I think I think there's something about spoiler culture, too. I mean, I, I personally have a, a feeling that, like, a movie... If you've got three weekends that it's been out, like it, it's no longer like my responsibility to like be super careful about your ears and not spoiling this because like unless you are a mother who has just given birth and can't bring your baby to the theater, that's what babysitters are for. Or you're in a hospital or something, <laughs> you probably haven't made enough of an effort here, so. But that's all, only a very few people who get that exception. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a good line between like spoiler etiquette and like now is about the time that people are going to feel free to say, "Man, I'm still so bummed out that Han Solo died." Wait, Han died? What? And that's. <laughs> but those are conversations <laughs> that are going to be happening, and especially like this week as people are going back to work after the holidays and next week as people are going back to school, uh, especially as universities start up, then it's going to be like those conversations are going to happen. So if you like, I I feel like we can moderate ourselves to, I will say that I did manage to avoid the Harry Potter spoilers from the last movie for an entire year until I finished reading the books. Oh, really? Wow. But I had to be, like, really diligent. And I didn't have most of you people as my, like, social media friends at the time, so that probably helped as well. <laughs> no, I remember... Uh, but it, it took was, a lot uh, of effort. Yeah, when the, when the sixth Harry Potter book came out, I, I didn't... I wasn't there. A friend of mine actually went to a midnight release, um, and someone in line went up, grabbed a copy off the shelf, went to the last chapter, then ran down the whole aisle going, Dumbledore died! And I think he might have got his ass kicked. I don't know for sure. Um. Should have. Uh, oh well, I have a I have a better Harry Potter uh, fandom story. Um, my sister, who I love very dearly, hi Kate, if you're listening, um, has been a volunteer at San Diego Comic Con for a long, long time, 
and a couple of years back when the fourth Harry Potter book came out, uh, it coincided with uh, Comic-Con, and so that either Saturday or Sunday, she went to the Barnes & Noble downtown by the San Diego Comic-Con and was in line and was looking behind her, and she's like, I recognize that guy. Who is that guy? I kind of recognize him. And then it took her like 15, 20 minutes, and she's like, that's Joss Whedon. Joss oh, Whedon really? in my line buying Harry Potter with me. And <laughs> back, just said hi to him and, like, thanks for Buffy. And and he was just, like, the coolest guy to her. So, like, yay, Joss Whedon. And, I, I like, shout out to the Harry Potter fans. Like, for the most part, I think Harry Potter fans are pretty nice and pretty diligent about, like, we don't want to spoil this for other people. And I also think Star Wars fans did a great job of, like, keeping this under wraps of, like, I know among my friends, I did not see anything on Facebook. No, and, like, you even created the uh, the, our Star Wars spoiler uh, secret group, and that was a great place for all of us to, you know, hop into and, and gush and go crazy over. And I'm starting to see a bit of that kind of spill out into... Yeah general Facebook, but even still, you're not seeing, you know, you're, you're still not seeing the big rocks, so um, speaking of big rocks, uh, Brooke, what was what was your, maybe your favorite moment, or favorite part of, of this movie? Uh, it's, it's really hard to narrow it down to one thing for me, because I think the thing that I guess there's two things, Ray Mm-hmm, yeah. Everything Ray, everything about her, like she is so phenomenal. the The way that they wrote her to be quippy and strong and a badass, <laughs> like like this total badass who doesn't forsake any of her femininity for having to be a bad. Like I don't know, it, she was. She was perfect. She was just perfect. And then I think the thing that I really like the most, because I keep hearing people saying, oh, this is too much like A New Hope, and it's not creative enough, and they didn't grow the characters enough. And I just so wholeheartedly disagree with that. Like, the development that they gave to Luke and Leia without even showing us what it is, well, not Luke and Leia, excuse me, Han and Leia, without even showing us what it is yet, to know that their relationship with through, I mean, if you've been in a relationship after high school, like you're just gonna know that it's not easy, and to see that they have a son who is now like trying to recreate himself with Darth Vader, like there's so much that's happened there, and to see them come together and just be so real, that that was the one of the things that stuck with me the most is that. You can just relate to this movie, whether or not you're a fan. If if you see it as a standalone movie, it, it's fa- it's fabulous. Exactly, and I mean that's what's so beautiful about Star Wars is that it's always been about that universal myth, and the fact that they're still playing different pieces of that same symphony. Um, I think is just beautiful. Yeah, there there are a lot of elements that are very similar to the original trilogy and and parts of the prequels, which I think is a feature, not a bug. Like, yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, but 
at the same time, you didn't have a protagonist quite like Ray. Other than the, if you're saying that Luke and Ray are the same person, it's like no, 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 because there have been plenty of blonde hair, blue eyed uh, farm boys who go off to find their fame and fortune in in cinema beforehand uh, and everywhere. This is a movie that is led by a female protagonist that is, like you said, Brooke, very different from even your your typical uh, female protagonist. I mean, I I often mockingly say, like, strong female character, trademark Joss Whedon. And <laughs> we have this... But if you look even before that, like, to Tomb Raider... Yeah. She yeah. and Ray are not even close to the same character. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, we... But we have this trope of what we think a strong female character is, and a lot of what that strong female character is is actually quite masculine and takes on masculine qualities so that it's like, well, then she can fit into the patriarchal power structure because she's kind of like a guy anyway. Ray is not like a guy. And and that's what's so... And not only is she badass in her own way, um, but she's feminine without being overly sexualized. She never apologizes for being a woman or tries to make up with it with her body. She never she never apologizes for anything. She never has to. Yeah. Yeah. She's just (laughs) like Well it's 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 funny you mention that because, you know, if you think about in in pop culture just overall, one of the quote unquote most powerful, well known, we'll say lead females um, in anything was Laura Croft from Tomb Raider. And if you think about it in the first in the first five, six games it was literally because she was tits and ass and could shoot guys. You know, that's even what the movies were. Uh, and it was actually, it was, again, not to go on a tangent, but they when they rebooted Tomb Raider a couple years ago, when Square Enix got a hold of it, they did the same thing. They let her um, mature and become herself, but she also got to stay and have emotions. She wasn't like, well, I got to survive. I'm going to be a man now. And it's like, that's not what a woman is. <laughs> a woman's not a man with, with you know, a, with an extra X chromosome. You know, it's like there's... You know, there's there's room for um, that kind of growth and also that kind of uh, openness that I think guys don't always have. Um, and a strong woman definitely has that because that's part of her nature. So there's the the male that group of of men who are trying to like fight for men's rights, and they have been stating that they've cost Star Wars millions of dollars by not going to see the movie. I believe it was $4 million, and it's already made like $700 million just in the U.S. alone, so good job, guys. Yeah. Yep. I know. Like, they think they're this great big huge thing, and, and that's fine, but I guess that's what I like about Ray is that those same men weren't protesting Laura Croft because she was acceptable as to what they could allow to be a protagonist. She was either sexy enough or manly enough. And and that's how all the protagonists have been. And the fact that these men are protesting, well done. You've done it right. Because we shouldn't be what they want us to be. Like, we are not required to be what a man needs us to be in order to be the heroine and to be the one that is moving the story forward. We get to be ourselves. And they, they did it perfect. What's yeah. so cool too is not only you know, we've talked a lot about Ray and who is so I kind of bounce back and forth between 
if I love Ray or Kylo Ren more, and we'll get into Kylo Ren later, uh, she's absolutely just fantastic, and she steals every single scene she's in. Uh, but I mean, you you've got such a, a multitude of people. I mean, yeah, you you've got you know your Han and Leia and and you know Luke actually at the end, uh, but then you also have what's it a strong female character? You've got a person of color, <clears throat> and then Poe Dameron who uh, is some kind of Spanish <laughs> or something. So it's so cool to think that, you know, yeah, growing up, I got to pretend to be Luke Skywalker and I got to pretend to be Han Solo or whatever else. And kids nowadays, like, you know, your daughter who's right there with you, she can, when she gets older, watch this movie and be like, hey, I can go up, I can be like, you know, uh, Ray or I can be like this or, you know, kids of, you know, young, young black kids or Spanish kids be like, oh, there's someone now I can be like, there's like a person like me in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Uh, and it's really cool we have that because, I mean, we, we haven't up to this point. I mean, we had Sam Jackson and Lando. That was about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's super cool. First of all, I think this is really cool. Um, Oscar Isaac's parents are from Guatemala, and when they found this out, they rewrote the character of Poe Dameron's backstory so that his parents were from Yavin 4 because that's the planet where the Rebels are hanging out in the original Star Wars, uh, and they film that in the jungles of Guatemala at Tikal. Mm-hmm. So they're, like, trying to honor that piece of his heritage. I'm like, that's really freaking cool. And it's not... It, it isn't anything that's, like, super big or tokenism. They don't make a big deal out of it, but they're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this because we, because we want to honor that. Um, what... What I loved so much about this was, and we talked about this on uh, our original review, is how much I loved taking my daughter to this movie. And Adam, when you talked about our favorite moment, every time I go in to see this movie, my favorite moment is that moment with the literal passing of the baton from one generation to the next. Where mm-hmm. that lightsaber flies out of the snow into Ray's hand, and they play that that Force theme from Star Wars, and mm-hmm. that's it. That is the moment, and it's so powerful. It it's like, yeah, we we're taking this. We're the ones who we've been waiting for, and that's right. Now we're going to. Now we're going to be the ones who fight against this darkness. And it's super cool because it's like, um, you know, when, when we were young and we would, you know, play with, play with girls or whatever, and girls would be like, okay, well, I want to be Han Solo. And it's like, okay, that's cool. Or I want to be Luke Skywalker. Okay, that's cool. And it's like, oh, but of a lot of times, like, girls... <laughs> they, always, they always made me be Ursula the Sea Witch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. <laughs> but, but most of the time when we played Star Wars, the girls, it's like, okay, well, you're going to be the Ewoks or you're going to be Princess Leia because, hey, that's all we got. And girls can be Ewoks, I guess. Now, it's really funny. When my kids play with the toys, they fight over who gets to be Rey. I'm yeah. a, a little boy and a little girl. And my little boy wants to be Rey as much as my daughter does. That's really cool. That's like... That is true equality, and and because then it no longer matters the gender of this person, and that in and of itself is the most powerful statement we could possibly make. 
Yeah, and, and just spot off of that, like, you know, we, it's, yeah, it's, trying to think of a favorite moment for me is, is almost impossible because there's so, there's so many moments that were just like, you know, like, oh, we're not going to take that piece of garbage, we'll take that ship, boom, it blows up, oh, we'll take that piece of garbage, and it's the Millennium Vulcan. That was awesome. Um, the first time you see Han and Chewie when they come on board and, you know, it's Chewie, we're home, uh, and then there's, like, the little, little tiny moments, like when Han and Leia reunite again. And all he looks at her is like, oh, you changed your hair. I was crying like a baby. Because <laughs> it just has this, it was like old friends and, you know, obviously lovers who... Well, and every girl wants a guy to notice when they change their hair. It doesn't matter if it's been 30 <laughs> years. Like, it's still that moment of, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but exactly, it is. It, you still saw that even though they hadn't been together for a while, because you know, with, with Kylo Ren and turning to the dark side, uh, that love was still there. It just they they realized that that the their relationship love as far as a husband and wife wasn't gonna work out anymore. Um, and then like the lightsaber battle at the end. I mean, to this day, that this is probably my favorite lightsaber battle because it was so realistic and vicious and. It was like watching the fight scene in the second episode of Daredevil, where you could just see that at the end of it, they were just worn the hell out and tired. And that's what it was here. It was like watching two people from the Middle Ages just hack each other with broadswords. Uh, so yeah, those, those are just probably a couple of my moments. But yeah, the lightsaber battle, like yeah, like you said, when she calls the lightsaber over, that was... And it's going towards Kylo Ren, and you're like, nope, it's not going to, it goes to her. And uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. I, I think there, there's been a lot made about... Ray and Finn and their ability to wield a lightsaber and them being able to hold their own and in the case of Ray to be able to fight back against Kylo Ren and well he had a bowcaster bolt in his chest <laughs> yeah exactly and second like he's got some really awesome force powers that we've seen like he can stop that blaster bolt he can do that mind control and suck information right out of your brain with crazy rapey overtones, but the he doesn't actually seem to be very good with his lightsaber. He's not a Sith, and really there's been no one for him to fight against for years and years and years and years, ever since he slaughtered all of the other uh, students at Luke Skywalker's Academy. So He's it's, had control uh, panels. Yeah, exactly. So, no. you, you guys are both following emo Kylo Ren, right, on Twitter? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's so funny. It's, it's the best. That and Very Lonely Luke are the, two, are the two best things on Twitter right now. If you guys aren't following it, uh, if you're listening, uh, go there. It's, they're hilarious. Yeah, that, totally. But he he is not the most skilled uh, lightsaber dueler ever. And so you go back to the prequels and you have these amazingly beautiful choreographed scenes between people who are really trained in uh, in sword fighting. And they've spent a lot of time training in that. And they talk about all of their training in that. These people, not so much. I mean, Finn's had some melee combat, probably. Uh so that's how he's able to he, he's able to use it but I, I find this very interesting that people are like well how can Rey even use a lightsaber if she never has before and I'm like yeah you know what how can Luke pilot an X-Wing fighter 
when he's been living on a backwards planet his entire life, flying probably the the equivalent of like crop dusters, and now you're putting him in the equivalent of like an F-18, and then he nails a shot of a tiny two-meter thermal exhaust port on the Death Star, Death Star with <laughs> eyes. Hello, closed. I would like some death, please. Aisle fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> death or cake. Anyway, um, well, have a chicken. <laughs> he nails that in uh, in an X-wing that he's never flown before, and people are like, oh, well, you know, that's okay. But Ray, um, she can't use a lightsaber because she's a girl. Well, and I think the the most important thing people need to understand, and this is just me being a total uber Star Wars geek who you know, read all the books and everything else, is you don't have to be a Jedi to use a lightsaber. The whole point of being a Jedi and fighting with a lightsaber is that you're using the Force to to understand and know what your next, uh, what your opponent's going to do next. So that's that's the whole point about you know being skilled with a lightsaber. And even Han used a lightsaber. You don't have to be a Jedi to use a lightsaber. You just have to be a Jedi to use it well. And this actually brings me to a, a good question that everyone's kind of going crazy over: Who is Rey? Because if you think about it, she is powerful enough in the Force to pick up and learn, you know, Jedi mind tricks and all kinds of other stuff, and you know, basically how to fight with a lightsaber and pull it towards her. And technically speaking, the only teacher she's kind of had is Kylo Ren, because he's the only, you know, she, he used the Force in her and she pulled that from him. Um, but I mean, obviously, she had to know something because a normal person wouldn't just know that you could control someone's mind with the Force unless someone was already trained. Uh, so I mean, there's obviously our big thing is she's probably Luke Skywalker's daughter. Uh, there's been the thing that maybe she's Obi Wan Kenobi's daughter, which unfortunately would be really cool, but timeline doesn't work out because she's only what 18, 19, and this has been 30 years after Jedi. So I mean, who who is Ray? Who do we think she is? It's so funny because Brooke and I had this same conversation two months ago, speculating all about who Ray is, and I loved it that we totally nailed it. We're like. She well, we totally nailed it. We don't know. But I think <laughs> most signs point to her being uh, a an offspring of Anakin Skywalker somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think less and less from the context clues that she's uh, Leia and Han's kid because I think they would have mentioned that, um, and more and more well, that she's probably Luke's. What what do you think, Brooke? I don't think. I just don't think there's any way that she is. Han and Leia's daughter. Like, for for Han to tell Finn that they are going in to save the general population and not her, he just wouldn't have done that when he had such a focus of finding his son again. Like, to completely disregard her well-being and to have so much concern for Kylo Ren, like, it, it's just not... If it is, that's really shitty writing. Like, I just, I don't think there's any way that that is going to be a possibility. I do think that she's going to end up being Luke and Mara Jade's daughter. Like, I just, I feel like that's where it's going to go. And um, I think she's got to be a Skywalker. I think that her training, like, I don't think that she was, um, I don't think that she is going to have been, like, completely being trained as a Padawan by Luke. 
I think that it was probably her mother who left her, who left her on the Jacote, and I think that uh, much like we teach our kids the alphabet and math by playing games with them and different things, I think that she was probably being very forced-trained as a small child, and that's why it comes so naturally to her and why she can recall it in that last fight scene with Kylo Ren, and it just sort of fills her entire being because she was unknowingly being trained already by her parents. Yeah, and, I mean, and Kylo knows who she is, because, you know, the moment when yeah. that one officer's say, hey, what's happened? He's like, oh, and there's a girl with him, and he forced pulled him over. He's like, tell me about the girl. So there's there's some famili- family relation there, uh, but I'm with you. I, I, I don't see how she could be on Alea's daughter. That just doesn't make sense because... I mean, they would they would probably recognize her somehow. If you, you know, and Chewbacca would have, like, loved the shit out of her the minute he saw her, but instead it was more like a, like, cousin or niece that you haven't seen for a long time, not like the son or daughter that you helped raise. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards Skywalker, because it's interesting because when she meets BB-8 and she's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm classified. She's like, I'm classified too. So all I could think of is... Luke, let's say Luke met someone, maybe Marjade or whoever. I mean, Marjade would be cool, but whoever they end up, you know, doing this. And they have a kid, and he realizes, oh, I screwed up. We shouldn't have had a kid because I'm a Skywalker. And obviously, the, the Force flows very, very strongly through my lineage. Well. Yeah. So they they have this baby in secret, and then when she's still a young child, like I think four or five in the vision when she gets dropped off on Jakku, yeah. uh, is taken and left there just to, to keep her kind of like what they did with you know, Luke and Leia being hidden at the end of Revenge of the Sith so that no one could find them until they were the right time to actually go and and um, you know and start the train but that's again it's all conjecture but that's that's kind of I'm leaning more towards Skywalker the more I think about it yeah and and the way I think about it is like oh well how she's so gifted with the force I think about like I had um, I had a friend who was born in Juarez Mexico didn't speak English until he was three, four years old when his family moved across the border to El Paso and then he and then he spoke English from then on. Um, his family stopped speaking Spanish, but like then at the at the age of like sixteen, seventeen or whatever, uh, he he like tried to start conversing with people again in Spanish and was like, oh yeah, I still know this language. He didn't just forget it. So if, um, if in fact Luke and I think it's likely that whoever he, uh, whoever he shacked up with is likely force sensitive as well. Um, because I think the question of where she is, is that Kylo Ren killed her too. When, um, that, that she was part of this new Jedi Academy and she died. And so Luke is faced with this conundrum. What do I do? Well, abandoning me on a desert planet seemed like a good idea, so I think I'm going to do that to my kid. Build character. Yeah, she'll she'll be okay, and I'll uh, I'll leave her with someone who who whatever um, who can. And she's going to have to be a scrapper and learn to fight with a bow. Yep, exactly. And she'll yep. be, but she'll be. But she'll be taken care of, and everything will be okay. The 
the the interesting thing about the Kenobi connection is when Rey picks up that lightsaber in Maz Kanata's castle, uh, she hears a couple of voices. The first thing she hears is Vader's breathing. Yeah. And she sees down that hallway uh, on Bespin in Cloud City, and she's having a vision of that. Um, so that's Anakin. The second voice she hears is Yoda's, and him talking about the nature of the Force. And that's taken right out of Empire Strikes Back. Then she hears a third voice. She hears very clearly Ray, and that is actually Alec Guinness. And they took Alec Guinness's voice from the first movie, where he's talking to R two, and he's like, "Come here, little one. Don't be afraid." And they took off yeah. the and the D, and they just got Ray, and they threw that in there. And then, as she comes out of the vision, she hears. Uh, you've taken the first steps. Which was by Ewan McGregor, correct? Which was by Ewan McGregor. And also, uh, over a temp track done by James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan on the Clone Wars cartoon. So, now, I heard that they had them actually come in and record a couple of things for the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's, that's exactly what they recorded. Was they had, they had Ewan McGregor and James Arnold Taylor record that line the the this is the first step and which is exactly what obi-wan tells luke he's like you've taken the first step into a larger world so here's what i'm thinking and we don't know they were gonna invite alec guinness in but he was his voice was a bit raspy so (laughs) too soon no (laughs) (laughs) so um (laughs) they uh but uh I think there's a strong possibility that somehow the Force Ghost of Obi Wan Kenobi has been watching over Rey, or the Force Ghost of Yoda, or both, or the Force Ghost of Anakin. That's what I was thinking too. I mean, Anakin, because his obviously his turning towards the light side at the very, very last moment is what you know. And I won't go into the whole idea of where Force Ghosts come from because that's a fanboy issue. Uh, but yeah, that'd be a, also a way for him to atone in the afterlife, would be to, to watch out for his family. Yeah, so I mean, I think that she's been getting some training. Um, she had some training when she was very little that she didn't even know that she'd had training. Like Brooke said, like we teach our kids the alphabet through games and stuff. They don't know that they're learning how to read. They're just learning a song. Yeah, or like the kid in the Matrix when he was bending the spoon. You know, it's like you're just doing stuff for fun, but you're you're actually learning skills that are going to, you know, help you on as you grow older. Yeah, but the the original Jedi Order and the Old Republic, they were training kids from a very, very young age to use the Force. And that's why Yoda was so insistent that Luke was too old and that the Council said that Anakin was too old. And he's eight. So, you know, Luke, I think, had started training his daughter and... Um, and so there, there's some of that. So she's remembering those things, and she's she's probably been taught, even though she doesn't know, maybe by force ghosts who have been talking to her in her sleep. And so. see, I, I wonder too if that that's that might be part of the part of the reason why uh, Luke Skywalker is is bringing the new um, the next generation of Jedi up that Kylo Ren turned was because maybe he did start them too late because he didn't know. 
Yeah, he did maybe he's like he's like, Oh, eight's old eight's, eight's a good age, let's let's bring them in when they're eight, you know. He wouldn't have had anyone to tell him. I mean I'm sure when they were training on Dagobah for that brief amount of time, Yoda didn't lay down the rules of the Jedi training temple. Um, so maybe that's why. So he he got God. Uh, well, we'll say his name Ben Solo. Uh, oh, at that moment when uh, Han looks at me, he's like, Yelling Ben! ben. Take off your mask! Oh, I, lo- I love Han Solo using his dad voice. <laughs> that, that's totally what that was, is that was that dad voice. Get over here! Um, but, so, so again, I know in episode eight, a lot of these questions will be answered, and I'm really excited. Um, also, because Ryan Johnson is such a great director with uh, dialogue and and storytelling, uh, but I'm pretty sure we'll get all this answered next time. But it's still kind of fun to think about, you know, what what could have happened or what did happen. Yeah, and and what's ultimately great is, I mean, and this was the same conversation Brooke and I had was that no matter whether. Ray is a Skywalker, or whether she's a Solo, or a Binks, or or whoever. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be fine to us because, um, like we we think we know where this story's going, and un- there were just too many people who, almost to a person, everyone who I know who didn't like this movie, basically they had thought up to themselves what the movie was or should have been mm-hmm. instead of just saying I'm happy with whatever I'm going to get and you know Brooke and I would guess pretty close of what what this movie was going to be but um, if it had been something completely different I would have been happy and I think there were too many people who went in still too many people even though most people love this movie still too many people who had expectations uh, of what they thought it should have been, and those weren't met, which is too bad. And we, we all need to temper our expectations for episode eight and be excited because J.J. <laughs> Abrams, the way he's talking about what Ryan Johnson's cooking up, he's like he's way out in left field. This is going to be like the pedestrian Star Wars movie. This is, yeah, a synthesis of everything Lucas did. This is going to take it to the next level and be totally crazy, which which I'm totally excited for. Yeah, <laughs> my brain just went into overload. That's why I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> just like imagining the possibilities of where everything is going to go. And here's another question: Is do we think that Finn is force sensitive? Because I went into this movie definitely thinking, oh yeah. Finn is Force-sensitive, and I even told you, Brooke, I'm like, Finn and Rey are the new Luke. And see, what I love so well, talk about uh, the trailers or the teasers, whatever you want to call them, was they didn't let you see at all that Rey was the one who was Force-sensitive. They, they, every single time you saw someone holding a lightsaber, it was Finn. So it, it was a great job of misdirection as far as going in, you know, not knowing what to expect, and then being very, very nicely surprised by what, what came about. Um, I don't think Finn's Force-sensitive. Uh, I think he's just a, a very well-trained stormtrooper, but uh, you never know. There were a couple things that I feel like could lead to him being, like, kind of hints to him being Force-sensitive, as far as when he was aware of, like, the TIE Fighters coming in before they came in and not, like, his abilities to perceive what was going to happen before it happened and encounter it. Like, that's 
pretty telling of their possibilities of being force sensitive, but I just maybe it's because I just want it to be only Ray, but it just wasn't the feeling I got from it. I didn't feel like like Finn was. Um, I didn't really feel like Poe was at all. No, but, but he doesn't. But I definitely do like. I think it would be cool. I I feel like it would be really good for a lot of reasons for Finn to be force sensitive, but I don't see it happening. I, I think there can you can be force sensitive, and him still obviously not be as adept at all of this stuff because yeah. his grandfather wasn't like nine hundred times higher midichlorians than everyone else. You know, immaculately I mean, conceived. Yeah, midichlorians. Exactly. Well, and if you look at, it, I think uh, uh, Masconada, who who has a little, you know, uh, I guess it was a temple slash bar type, whatever was there. Uh, you could definitely tell that she was somewhat force sensitive because she kind of knew what was going on. She was the one. How cool was her character? Oh, oh yeah, she was so great at the Golden Girls. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that was it was so cool because you know Lupita Nyong'o is a great actress, and you know we didn't really know what she was going to be doing in this character. We just knew it was CGI, and she nailed it. I mean, Han Solo, where's my boyfriend? <laughs> I love that Wookie. <laughs> Yeah, she just had such a. There was, you know, it was. You know, she's over, she's over a thousand years old, so there's that sense of, you know, worldwise and streetwise, and a little bit weary of that. But there was such a joy, that sparkle in those eyes, and to have a character that's 100% CGI still present that emotion and that range of, of human humanity was was absolutely astounding. She was she's also one of my favorite characters in the of, of the new series. Yeah, she and. Just and so different too. I mean, well, I guess maybe not so different because she's kind of like Yoda in that she's little and unassuming, but still very powerful in her own respect. Um, but she just she knows what what the what is, and it, very similar to Max von Sydow's character at the very beginning. Um, they know like some backstory, like pre-rebellion, like what it was like before the Empire, before the Dark Times and they, you know, they draw on that knowledge. Max von Sydow is like telling Kylo Ren, is like the the Knights of Ren and Snoke are of the dark side, but you didn't come from there. I know who you are. And, you know, he can he's seeing uh, other, other things and and I just I love that Maz has that sense and that we're gonna get to see her again which is super cool like who knows maybe she's in maybe we'll get to see her in Rogue One even I was thinking or possibly even the, uh, oh the my God, Solo so cool. prequel yeah but I mean she would be a character that it would be kind of cool these, these other prequel standalone movies um that would be cool to see if, like, if oh, she. Oh, I really want her in Rogue One now. You shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, well, she's not listed on the IMDb page for the movie yet. So, as far as we know, she's not. So let's pretend that she isn't, but let's hold out hope that. I'm I mean, so damn excited for that movie. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. Like as as, as cool as it was to see. 
uh, Rey be a badass Jedi female character. It's going to be really cool to see Felicity Jones doing the same thing as an X-Wing pilot. That's, uh, that's yeah, so that'll, that'll be a fun one to look forward to. Um, oh, gosh, there's... I, we could probably sit here and battle forever. to be a woman. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so let's, let's talk about... Uh, we we got to talk about uh, Han facing Kylo Ren, which is, yep. in many ways, I think, about the climax and turning point of the movie. Uh, so, yeah, we, we already talked about Han using his dad voice, uh, but the moment the moment he walked out on that bridge, I was like, oh, dead man walking. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, but I, he, I think they kind of telegraphed it, too. Like, when he hugs Leia as as he's leaving, I'm like... Yeah, that's it. I think I think this is the last time they're gonna see each other. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, just there's because the whole thing I was gonna bring up a minute ago that I love about Kylo Ren is he's turned so he's turned to the dark side, but he still keeps on pulling the fuel from the light. In fact, in that one scene where he's kind of, I guess, paying tribute or praying to Vader's melted helmet was he's like, you know, help me with this. I still feel the pull of the light, and it's it's interesting because. You know, Vader was before you know until the very very end was 100% to the dark side. The Emperor was 100% to the dark side, and in the prequels and even in the original trilogy, we always saw people being tempted by the dark side. And Kylo Ren's an interesting character because he's being tempted by the light side. And whether or not his murdering of Han is what seals the deal that sends him fully over, or if there is still good in him that will bring him back, it, it's I can't really say right now. But I think that it was a very very Intentional and awesome use of his wanting to, you know, turn back to the light side at least up to that point. In the, immor- in the immortal words of Led Zeppelin, "Yes, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. There's still a possibility to try and turn Kylo back to the light." Which, like, I I love that they're possibly setting that up. Like, maybe that becomes Ray's mission. Uh, to try and turn her cousin back, even though he tried to seal the deal. And I know there have been like dark times in my life where I felt like, well, I should just do this one really bad thing to prove to myself and prove to everyone else that I am a bad person. And that's and then that's it. Then I don't have any more responsibility to try and be good anymore because now I'm bad. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be my identity, and I'm going to hold on to it. I could never do that. Like, I was never able to take that step. But there have been times where I've been tempted to. And I think Kylo Ren is the person who gave in to that temptation to try and define himself by those mistakes because he wanted to choose them, because he wanted to choose uh, that that quick and easy way to the Force. Um Rather than rather than using it for you know knowledge and and defense. Sorry, Brooke, I cut so, you. Off. No, you're fine. I was just—it's really interesting listening to this because I read that one dad's theory about the truth behind Kylo Ren. Have either of you read this? Uh, or, I think I read it a lot, like, like a couple of days the movie came out. They're just talking about how Kylo Ren is struggling with the light because he's actually like more balanced towards being on the light side, but he knows 
that his duty and responsibility is to destroy the dark side and the only way that he can do that is by learning it and getting close to it and destroying Snook. And so his pull to the light side is not because he wants to be on the dark side but because he is truly fighting for the light and not the dark. And in order to to make that transition to the dark, like he couldn't do it until he did kill someone. And that's why when Han reaches out and he says, I need you to help me do this one last thing, Han knows what it is and he says anything. And like knowing that he's sacrificing himself so that his son can eventually kill Snook and destroy the dark side forever. It was because Han Solo is actually a Horcrux that contains parts of Snoke's soul. <laughs> so he has to kill him. To no, I can't. Uh, I I think that's interesting, but I think I don't think that's where it's gonna go. But yeah. how cool would that be, though? Like, cause my whole time, this whole my what I've held on to the whole time is that Ray's name is Ray, very purposefully, because she's gonna be the ray of light that brings balance to the force in the end like we'll see a lot of development i think there's going to be a lot of back and forth with kylo ren i think there's going to be a lot of back and forth with luke because if what i think happened is that kylo ren was trained too late and he went batshit crazy and starts killing people including his aunt and ray's mother and he I think that Luke's going to have a lot of guilt and he's going to go back and forth battling with the darks in himself, blah, blah, blah. But then there's going to be Rey and she's going to come in and she's going to be friggin' awesome and bring this balance to the Force and eventually get rid of the love too and all these different things by helping people to find the balance of light and dark in themselves. That's that's where I think it's going to go. But... I don't, I don't think that's where Kylo Ren's going to go, but I think that if he is having this strong pull toward the light, even, like you said, even though he has killed his father, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I've definitely been there to where I thought there was nothing redeemable in myself. And if that's where he is, then there's obviously hope for him to come back, but who knows if he'll make it there. Yeah, and It's going to be interesting. I mean, I think ultimately that Kylo Ren is Lucas's and Kasdan's and Abrams' critique of fandom as well, of this petulant man-child that thinks that it knows what it wants and thinks that everything that's older is better and think they understand the nature of all that stuff. And and that's why you cast Adam Driver, like the ultimate hipster douche character actor, <laughs> to play to play this guy who's obsessed with his grandpa, who's mad at his dad, and um, you know, yeah, those are those are parts of his motivation. Um, I, I think it would make it very layered and complex for oh well, Kylo Ren is an inside man, and this is suddenly becomes the departed but this isn't <laughs> this isn't the departed this is this is star wars and i think it's a bit more black, and, black. and i think i think people are um i 
I think, like you said, Ray is this kind of like last scion of the light side of the Force, and Kylo Ren is this like last scion of the dark. And the two of them have to fight one another. And this this whole like there's been an awakening of the Force is actually kind of a like a deeper magic to the universe than even the Jedi and the Sith had conceived of. That it's not just, oh, well, we're a bunch of, you know, monks hanging out in a temple worshipping this mystical energy and using it to keep peace and order. And then there's these other knuckleheads over here who keep trying to take over the universe, too. Um, I, I think we'll get more into that, like, mystical side that they were they were really probing into in the Clone Wars with the Mortis trilogy uh, in in those season six unreleased episodes that are on Netflix, where Yoda is like having his like Force Vision quest. I I think there's more to the Force than we know, and we're gonna learn a lot more about it through these characters and and what it actually means. And see, for me, the the whole movie, you know, the, the Force Awakens and Snoke talking to Kylo Ren. He's like, "There's been an awakening. Have you felt it?" Uh, it's all when Ray starts coming into her powers. So. As, as much as the and again this is what I think leads credence to the fact that she's a Skywalker is the, the, the prequels and the uh, and the original trilogy is the rise fall and redemption of, of Anakin Skywalker so it only makes sense that this new generation is going to be around the Skywalkers because the, the movies have always been uh, about family whether it's Luke, you know, Han and Leia or it's the Skywalkers <clears throat> Everything's been about the fact that this is all interconnected. It's all interwoven. And, again, the Force awakens. It's it's Rey coming into her own. It's Rey finally seeing her powers and getting the ability to, you know, learn and use them. And, the, you know, you mentioned about the, uh, bringing balance to the Force. Technically speaking, killing the Emperor, killing Vader, didn't bring balance. Because balance is when, you know, on a scale, they're both evil, even... You have to have the dark side to have the light exist, and I think what we're going to see when we get um, when we get more of Luke, what I'm kind of hoping we're seeing is, as we discussed before, in like Return of the Jedi, he uses the dark side and the light side of the Force at both times. You know, he's used both uh, and walks the line of the you know the whether they call it this, but the whole internet thing of the gray Jedi, yeah, uh, to where you're using the good and you know because just because you can you know, shoot lightning from your hand, that doesn't have to be used for an evil purpose. That can be used you know, for a good purpose. Same thing with choking someone. I mean, there's you can use the dark side of the Force to accomplish good things, and you can use the good side of the Force to accomplish bad things. I mean, so there's... I think that's where we're gonna, the balance is going to come to, and Rey might very well be that first true Jedi who walks that line, and that's why either one show will eventually redeem Kylo Ren, or in the end, maybe destroy him. You, you mentioned the Grey Jedi and that being kind of a creature of the internet. I think this film has very smartly taken from fandom and specifically from the old Bioware Knights of the Old Republic game. Very, very specific things. Kylo Ren's helmet looks a lot like Revan's helmet. Yeah, it does. And, and Revan has a very similar journey where he was a Jedi, he was a Sith, and then he kind of ends up kind of who knows where, um, you know, by um, by the end of the series. Uh, you've got um, Ray 
always kind of looked to me like Bastila Shan. And the idea that everybody now wants to see her like with a double-bladed lightsaber, that was Bastila's <laughs> Yeah. And even her even her uh, uh, outfit looks very much like Bastila's original robes. And the fact that they're hanging out with Jolie Bindo, who was like the original Grey Jedi, and like makes our character in the game like realize that you can be balanced in the force uh, within that game and you can use both dark and light side powers. I, I think they're really pulling a lot from that and uh, I think that's really smart. I, I think it's very interesting that um, like this whole idea of, well, we're in trouble so we're going to go search for the original Jedi Temple. That's also kind of one of the things from the Old Republic. Now, they don't... Uh, for them, they're like, oh, that's on Tython, and we we go and we build a base there. But here, they they just named the planet, and I can't even remember what it is, but it, it's not Tython, it's something... It's Ireland. It's Ireland, yeah. Everybody go to Ireland, to, to that island, because it's a real place, and it's supposedly impossible to get to, but super awesome. The Tourism Board of Ireland wants you to come see... <laughs> So uh, I did really pass the name of the island that Luke is on. If my internet will load because it hates me, it is Achto. H C H dash T O. And that actually is the where the first Jedi Temple was. So, so I again going back to that idea of there being like this Force Awakening being this like greater mystical idea than either the Jedi or the Sith knew about and it being a very different thing than we know. I think that's one of the reasons why Luke is is going and looking for it. Also, because I think Luke learned the original lesson from uh, Empire Strikes Back, which is that discretion really is the better part of Valor. And I think we talked about this before when we talked about Empire Strikes Back, but if Luke had stayed on Dagobah, nothing would have changed. His friends still would have gotten away. Uh, uh, Han still would have gotten taken to Jabba the Hutt by Boba Fett, uh, and Leia and Lando and Chewie would have escaped on the Falcon. If anything, him going there and them having to go back for him put them in more danger. If Luke had stayed on Dagobah and finished his training, everything would have ended up exactly the same. So when he screws up and his student, his most promising student, kills all the rest of his students and his wife, maybe, um, I think Luke understands he's got to pull, pull a Yoda, just like Yoda did after losing to the Emperor. I'm going to go into exile until there's this awakening and I'm needed again. And I'm needed in the universe. Which was why, like, I was telling everyone, Mark Hamill is not going to be in this movie. I oh, actually, I, was, I was joking that he's going to be in an after credit scene. And what we got was almost the same thing. <laughs> an after credit scene. That, I, I, I kept telling everyone, he's sir not appearing in this film. They're like, where's Luke on the poster? I'm like, he's Yoda. Yoda wasn't he's in not in it. Yeah, he wasn't in the first movie. So, 
that's what they're that's what they're going for. And it's actually really funny. I told this to Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News, and he's like, "No, Mark Hamill's in The Force Awakens quite a bit. I was on set. I saw him. Dude's gonna be in there." And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know." But um, still think you're wrong. <laughs> so well, that's, and that's not to say that Henry, I'm gonna say I told you so. You got to go to the set at Pinewood, and you thought you knew more about Star Wars. But I told you, dork. <laughs> yeah, who's a nerd now? Yeah. <laughs> and, oh wait. Thanks, thanks, Harry. I, uh, you know, if, if if not for Harry Knowles starting Ain't It Cool News, I probably never would have gotten into crazy fandom and writing for a blog like Big Shiny Robot, so I actually do need to thank Harry. <laughs> the godfather around here in Austin, anyway. So, anyway, back to Star Wars. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... I'm just trying to think, there's... Again, there's so much we could talk about. There's so... It's, I don't know. I'm I'm running Brian and Blink because I'm still kind of blown away by everything. Uh, we could talk a little bit about BB-8 and how adorable he is. Oh yeah, BB-8 is amazing. He's it's kind of funny because I've always loved R2, um, but for some reason like R2 is always cool. But BB-8 just like you want to take him home and give him a hug and like have him sit next to you and watch TV with you. <laughs> no, seriously, like I took my little BB-8 with me to go see the Hateful Eight. Like he he sat on the bar at the Alamo Draft House with me and like and like during intermission I took him out and like ran him up and down the bar with. <laughs> like that's the kind of droid you want BB-8 to be, and you can you can see why Poe is like so attached to him. He's freaking cool. And when he gave that thumbs up, oh, oh yeah, my gosh, my kids went crazy. And he that's so cute. He is so cute. I just oh, I love BB-8. Everything. Can we talk needs- about C-3PO losing his arm. That's yes. going to happen in the next movie. You, you, <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's a, a comic that comes out uh, in like a month or two. Yeah. Okay. yeah That's like the part he's like, you may not recognize me because I have a red arm now. It's like, oh, no, of course, we, we couldn't possibly recognize Never. you. Never. No, we totally didn't recognize you pulling your same move of being a cock blocker. Well, he just spent so much time in the recognizer eating corn dogs. <laughs> desperate for any kind of human companionship. Uh, you notice at the end of the movie, he's got his golden arm back, and you notice there's a uh, there's a red protocol droid in there too. So, my theory is there's some sort of crazy like limb swapping club that's like the equivalent of like robot swingers, where they like. like I'll oil you if you oil me. Yeah, totally. Stuff like that. Like, <laughs> It's like it's it's like, uh, yeah. I w- I won't say what I was about to say because that's. Um, I, I think the one character that kind of blew me away that I wasn't expecting was uh, General Hux. He he, Domino Gleason taking over that role did such a great job of being the Tarkin character because, I mean, uh, this does pay a lot of homage to, uh, New Hope and you know we can't we're not going to ignore that because, that's kind of what we need to do to reboot this 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 whole thing. But that scene before the before the Star Killer shoots for the first oh, the only time, uh, when it was like you was like you were watching a bunch of Nazis, it reminded me of Hitler talking to like you know the SS and the it was the squad. It was like so awesome because you've got it, it's such a different dynamic too between 
what you have with New Hope, because New Hope was Tarkin and Vader, and they were both united in what they were doing. Or is this one you could just tell that Hux and Kylo Ren just hate each other's guts, and they would easily kill one another if they were allowed to, but they can't because Snoke's there. Uh, but I was I wasn't expecting to enjoy that character so much for because I I mean going in again he wasn't in any of the trailers we didn't know anything about him we just knew he was Bill Weasley from uh from uh, Harry Potter and then from the guy from Ex Machina and I I loved him yeah oh. yeah I that's, that's what... who he was yeah. yeah he's the other guy in Ex Machina. Yeah. He was so good as Hitler, I didn't realize. Yeah, I know. I totally, you totally don't recognize him. He's, he's great. Well, and he, I mean, Oscar Isaac doesn't even look the same as he did next Machina either. He's there with the glasses oh. and the big bushy beard. He yep. looks better without the beard. He does look better. I, I still wish, and I know that I'm probably like the only person in America who wishes that, but I wish that Gwendolyn Christie had played General Hunt. Mm. That would have been that would have been an interesting role. I just I don't know. I would, I would have really liked to see Kylo just pissed off at her, and then like having that dynamic between. I know she was. I it's it's. I would have really enjoyed it. But I think the one nice thing about having. I want more of her. <laughs> and, and we're and we're gonna get more in in the in the next movies. I think the one cool thing about having her as Captain Phasma and having her in the the Chrome. Uh, Stormtrooper outfit, which she got from Emperor Palpatine's shuttle, that's where her uh, her armor came from, was that it almost be distracting because she's so well-known as Brienne of Tarth that by hiding her face and just having the voice, because I think it might have blown my suspension of disbelief to see Brienne of Tarth standing next to Kylo Ren. Not that it wouldn't have been cool, because like, again, I love her as an actress and I want to see more of Vasma. But that's just that's my thinking, at least. Uh, I guess I just don't like Game of Thrones, so it wouldn't have been distracting <laughs> to me. <laughs> I love her in Game of Thrones; she's so amazing. It was funny when my when my family watched the um, Jimmy Fallon and the Roots doing the acapella Star Wars thing, and my daughter saw uh, Gwendolyn Christie. She's like, "Who is that? Is that Miley Cyrus?" And I'm like. <laughs> that is not Miley Cyrus. Oh, I will tell you all the things about. <laughs> and you are no longer my daughter. And you're so get well, shame. No shame. But my my child is not allowed to watch Game of Thrones. At least I not mean, for another like, eight years. So yeah, it would have been weird if she'd known. Oh yeah, that's that's uh, uh that's Brienne of Tarth and her. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so. Also, I think one of my other favorite moments in the movie was... Uh, I, I didn't notice, notice this the first time through, but it was the second time uh, when Kylo kills Han. It does it the moment the Starkiller finishes eating the sun. So the moment that the light goes out is literally when the light goes out of Kylo, and he takes that last step and, and kills Han. And then the moment right after that when Chewie you know, has to you know, shoot him... And every, everyone gave Kylo crap for losing to Ray and Finn, but everyone else who got shot with a bowcaster like blew up. And yeah. the fact that he just took it in stride and was just kind of psyching himself up and was flying, uh, it says a lot about him. And I think it was it was somewhere on Facebook, someone was like made that point. And it's like, so the question isn't how did 
how were Ray and Finn able to beat him? It's how will they be able to beat him when he's 100% at his full strength? Um, yeah. But, and how know, the hell did he not just blow up? That's freaking awesome. Yeah, but it was just it, the fact that, you know, Chewie, first of all, took that shot, knowing that, dude, Chewie was owed Han a life debt, and obviously he knew Ben Solo from a young age. He was probably giving him piggyback rides as a kid. So how difficult was that moment for Chewie not only definitely failing his friend by not living up to his life debt, but also having to shoot, you know, this kid who he he grew up loving. Yeah. yeah I mean, and you hear it when, when Chewie roars like that. I mean, the pain in that. And then it's perfectly mirrored when it cuts to Leia and she's like half a galaxy away and she feels it through the force. And just, I mean, the two of them are in so much pain over this. And and you know it. I mean, it's just awful. And we're feeling it too. It's and it's so much worse because you get you get those reactions. I love one of the things that Poe Dameron says as they're flying around outside, he says, as long as there's still light, then we have hope. And when that light goes out, there there you go. Yeah. I mean, that was, I, I think that was like a little bit of foreshadowing and also, you know, totally really fit with where they were trying to go with how they did that. That was really smart. And and they, they executed that just perfectly. Um, I'm, I'm amazed every time I watch that scene how long it goes and how, I mean, like I think back on it and I think of it being like really, really quick cuts and everything, you know, everything kind of happening all at once. It's long and it's drawn out. They really suck the marrow out of that scene. It's, uh, it's just it's absolutely... It's so multi-leveled though. Like there's so many facets of, of what is happening on each of those different levels in that scene that I, I think it has to be drawn out. When when Harrison Ford touches Adam Driver's face. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're you just you know what that is. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, it was because that that was the this, this part that got me was because I think we all I at least. If I had to guess who was going to die in the movie, I was I wasn't even thinking it was going to be Han because yeah. I mean, first of all, Harrison Ford didn't even want to do Return of the Jedi, so the fact that he even came back for this it had such a big part in it of all things. Uh, he was the one, and then the moment, of course, he walks out of that that bridge, it was like I said, dead man walking. Um, so I wasn't surprised that it happened, but yeah, that was. I mean, this is one of the most iconic characters in all of film, murdered by a son. And then does the whole, like, I forgive you thing. Uh, it was just heart-wrenching. Yeah, it's... And they just did it so incredibly well. I'm I'm blown away every time I watch that. It's exactly what you do for your kids. Like, I guess that that's the part. Being a fairly new parent, like, it's what you do. Like, it's the only way that I can save you through letting you kill me, that's a risk I'm willing to take because you are my child and you are worth it. Yeah, I had to have that exact conversation with with my son um, because he's like, I don't like this movie. It's too tragic. 
and he's like Han, when when we went to go see it for the second time, he leaned over to me and he said, "Han Solo is a stupid idiot." When he walked out on that bridge, and I'm like, "Yeah, he is." I'm like, "Let's talk about that." He is a stupid idiot because that's what we do as parents. It's like if if you were hurting and I came to try and rescue you, I don't care how much danger I'm in. I don't care how much you might hurt me. I still love you and I'm going to do as much as I can up to and including dying for you to try and do everything I can. And then he thought about it and he's like, okay then, that's okay. I'm like, but, you know... That's that's really what it comes down to. He's right, though. Han Solo was an idiot. You don't walk out on one of those bridges. <laughs> you never walk out on a bridge over a chasm in Star Wars when there's someone with a lightsaber. It's a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know. It just it, it did it, it hit the fills in all the right place. And like the the very last scene, in the one of the last scenes in the movie is everyone celebrating because the Star Killer base got destroyed. And everyone's celebrating, running around, and the first thing that Ray and Leia do is embrace. And just because of, and, uh, yeah, that was the one that just got me going. I was like, ah, stop it! Can't cry over every single scene in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, people have pointed out, and I will agree that this is one bug that I that I have is that Chewie walks right by her and doesn't. Nothing happens between the two of them. And that felt. Yeah, but. I, Sorry. No, no, no. I get it. I think maybe it's like it's too real. I can't deal with you right now. And maybe they're both giving each other that space because they know. But that's still, I. And I know for the sake of story, they had to have the you know Leia and Ray. But it that when when people bring up flaws with this movie that's like one of like four or five that I've found. It's not many I, of them, and they're can, very little. I can get behind you on that, except that I feel... I mean, how many times do you really see Chewie emotionally interacting with people besides Han? And see, that's what I was thinking, it's, because... There if was, it's happening, it is yeah. going to happen with Leia, but it's just not happening very much. And he... Like, he is traumatized. He is shocked. And, like, he does go and help bring Finn onto the ship to take him back, but, like, he is just getting to the point of decompressing. And and that big chewy guy, he's not gonna... No, I... I guess being, like, Asperger's-y myself and having a hard time with emotion when I'm overwhelmed... That part doesn't bother me at all. Like I totally, I totally get that. But um, I I think that that's something that I can relate to really well. But that's, that's just a good me. Point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, and if you think about it too, there there never really was that close of a relationship between Leia and Chewbacca. I mean, yeah, they were friendly toward each other, but it, it was it was always chewing on. It was always chewing on, and I think that's. Because, you know, Chewie owes him life debt. And they went from, you know, that to becoming like brothers. And, yeah, again, as much as I'm sure he, he loved Ben Solo as a kid, he would have loved Leia. But 
yeah, I, I really go along with Brooke as far as that's he's still decompressing, still dealing with what's going on, and at that point in time, literally can't even deal with anything else. Chewie just can't even. Exactly. I just can't. <laughs> yeah, got so, um, I think we've been we've been going on for a little over an hour, so I don't I don't want to wear everyone out, but um, yeah, closing thoughts. I mean, I think we we both all all three of us have said how amazing this movie is. Uh, personally, I liked that it kind of redid and kind of rehashed and paid homage to the uh, New Hope because I think we needed that. You know, we, the, the prequel was a different beast and animal than what the original trilogy was. This one had to kind of get us back in that mindset. And I, I again, I was sitting there like a like a kid seeing the movie for the first, like seeing the first Star Wars for the first time. Like my eyes were just lit up, and uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, it was the best time. I've had in a movie all year long, and I, it's really rare that a movie can restore that kind of sense of innocence and just kind of wide-eyed wonder that we all kind of become, grow up and become cynical adults and, and lose that. Um, it, yeah, it's I loved it. Yeah, I would just strongly recommend that everyone go out and sometime in the next several months watch Brick, watch Looper, watch the brothers bloom and get a taste for Ryan Johnson and start getting excited about what flavor of star Wars movie he's going to give us. I'm just, I love that this movie left us with so much to speculate on and so much to talk about because that's all we're going to be doing for a year and a half. But, uh, and interrupted briefly by us fawning over, Rogue One (laughs) Uh, but we're going to you know we're going to have a great time doing that because it's so dense and for you know a blockbuster popcorn movie there's very few other movies that have that much layered into them I mean this is this is the Godfather part 2 this is um, this is one of those kind of epic stories and I, I just love it yeah I I think that they did almost everything right with this movie I we barely even touched on her but the the transformations that we are going to be able to see with Leia um, going back to the princess in general that she was meant to be and the sacrifices that she's had to make in her own life and her her personal life and her professional life and the things that, that she is doing and the strengths that she has. Like we didn't just get a good female character out of Ray who is amazing, but we're seeing everything that we've wanted to see and that we've speculated in and known was there with Princess Leia this entire time. And and she has become the woman that her mother would have been and the leader that she was supposed to be. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to see where that goes. And now that we have Leia and Ray, who are going to be maybe not working hand-in-hand, hand, but, but building this next few movies together, I, I'm so excited. It's, it's brilliant. It's funny. It's so freaking funny. I couldn't oh, remember yeah. how many times I was just <laughs> quit taking my hand! Like, <laughs> yes! 
for the love of God, I can run on my own two feet. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I think that it isn't just the female characters that have been written so well, but the male characters and the CGI was brilliant and beautiful and everything. I just... They made a movie that can stand on its own and that will further and complete this this saga in a beautiful, beautiful way. And and Rogue One, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, like like you said, there's there's so many questions left unanswered that we don't we don't know yet. I mean, we still don't even really know who the Knights of Ren are. Snoke, who is he? Uh, the fact that there's no more Republic. They all got blown up. <laughs> Yep. Everything's got the yeah. recent buttons and pushed. So what's going to happen now? I mean, because the First Order, you know, they, they were dealt a big blow by blowing up Starkiller, but where are they going to go? What's going to happen with them? And there's there's so many questions that we don't have answers to, but it's not been done in a bad way. Like, I didn't leave feeling unsatisfied. Like, I, I left excited to learn more. Uh, and that's that's the, the gift of a... Tr- that's the mark of a truly gifted storyteller who can leave you hanging... Um, but feel completely satisfied with what you got. So, cool. Um, any final thoughts, you guys? Aside from the final thoughts we just had, go go <laughs> see it again. We're we've probably over, overtaken Avatar domestically at this point, but we need to beat it internationally so that we can dethrone the blue Smurfs. Oh, dances with Smurfs. Um, but yeah, if you can, uh, IMAX 3D is amazing. Uh, if you live near a theater that does Atmos, Atmos is absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, but basically, just go see it again and again and again. Like, there's there's no reason not to. I think our, our good friend Ryan Call from uh, Salt Lake Comic Con and Big China Robot, I think he just still went and saw it for the twelfth time today. I want to say. Well. So. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh he's definitely devoted. But, anyways, Brooke, thank you so much for hopping on. It's always a pleasure Thanks having you here. Us. Sorry always. for continually mispronouncing Snoke's name. Is it Snoke? Yeah, I I, he, he isn't real, so I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but thank you, guys. It's been fun. It's always fun. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will see you uh, next week, hopefully, with a review of uh, The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. So, hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. tripping, but it's all right. Homie scored a key. He's gonna fly. Punk ass
Turned away from it all like a blind man. Sat on a fence, but it don't work. Keep coming up with love, but it's so slashed and torn. Shut up.